Hey, how's it going? I'm Nick, and I'm your host on the Echo Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering helpful tools and strategies to improve your quality of life at work. On today's show, we discuss ways in which you can mitigate stress in your work environment. My guest today is Sha'an Yeo. Sha'an is a pioneer graduate of the Master of Applied Positive Psychology, or MAPP, at the University of Pennsylvania. As the founder of Happiness Scientists, she has trained over 10,000 people in schools and organizations on the science of happiness. She has also been featured on multiple media channels, including TV, newspaper, and radio. Recently, Sha'an also completed her first TEDx talk on the topic of happiness. If you'd like to find out more about Sha'an and this episode, you can go to echo.academy forward slash Sha'an. That's E-K-H-O dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y forward slash S-H-A-E-N. Sha'an is experienced on the topic of stress and happiness, so this episode is filled with useful nuggets for you to practice. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sha'an Yeo. Sha'an, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks Nick. Thanks for having me. So today, I'm really interested in our conversation because it's around something that I face at some point in life and I think something we all face, you know, in the workplace and that's stress at work, mm. in the work environment. Um, so given what you do as a profession, I thought it'd be great to understand from you, you know, some ways to mitigate stress and sure. how to even understand and deal with it. So mm. I guess to start things off you know maybe it'll be good to understand you know what made you go into this line of work oh that's a good question well i guess um i started off my career as a teacher yeah and in working with students i saw that many of them were academically very strong but when it came to responding to challenges and failure um a lot of them were not able to respond i guess in a way that was helpful for them Like, for example, they would cry, they would have breakdowns, they would slam the table. So emotionally, um, going through these challenges and failure was actually, it was not instinctive for them. They didn't know what to do. And I started to think about what was my role as a teacher. Was it just to teach them subjects or was it to teach them to be a human being that can leave the school eventually and be able to take care of themselves and, and flourish? You know, and I guess in the exploration of solutions for these kids, I stumbled upon um, Martin Seligman's book called Learned Optimism. Right. And I thought, wow, you mean you can actually teach optimism? I mean, <laughs> I thought that it was just something that we're born with. Right. right? You're either a pessimist or an optimist. That's what we hear. Yeah. Why, did, why did you think that? Why did you think that it was something we were born with instead of learn? I don't know. I think it's just what... It was a notion that was conveyed to me. Either maybe it's what people were saying about topics like these. And, and I guess... Myself, I always thought of myself as a pessimist because when I go through difficulty, I would always be like, oh, this is going to be terrible. I would think of the worst case scenario. I know it probably doesn't sound logical given my profession now, nah, but no at the worries. time, I just thought, you know, when things bad things happen, it's because of me, right? And therefore, when I heard this term learned optimism, it was kind of an oxymoron. You mean, you mean I can be different? You mean my students can be different? Yeah, so after reading the book and I tested it out with my students and it worked, yeah, I just said, oh my goodness, what is this field of possibility that can help children but in the consequence of applying it has also helped me. Right. Yeah, so that was kind of how I forayed into this area of work. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, judging from what you said, um, apart from, you know, the things that cause us stress and overwhelm, what you saw in your kids was just the inability to cope with it mm, as well. That's right. Um, is that because we didn't learn to, as in we were not 
taught how to mm. to learn or how to cope well with these things or is it just because things are just way too much for us to even know how to mm. you know dissect it and really bring it down to something that's manageable mm, i think to answer your question is both yeah i think we are not we don't explicitly teach at least that's my belief um, now it's better, but that was when we were talking about 10 years ago when I was teaching, yeah. that although we taught children how to be values-oriented, how to build character, I don't think we explicitly taught them how to deal with challenges and failure in a way that was helpful. Right. Right. And <clears throat> not sure about you, but growing up, I think the messages that I heard was, well, if it's difficult, just deal with it. Right. But how do you deal with it? Yeah. And um, when, like for example, when I was going through primary school and secondary school, I was bullied. So I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I just tried to respond in the best way that I knew, which was not actually healthy. Yeah. Yeah. But if I were to tell my parents, they'll tell you, ah, I went through that as well. Right. So I don't think that explicit teaching was there. Um, in terms of the context of what's happening to children now and maybe even 10 years ago, definitely they've, they've had to deal with more things than I think we did, right? For example, technology is so new and now they have to, I mean, aside from physical bullying, they have to think about cyber safety and all yes. of that. So they do have a lot to deal with, which means that um, if we're only teaching them to deal with the normal school-going things, it's not even enough, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's both. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting and it's true. Like um, even even for me, I felt uh, in school, I think there was this assumption that all students are the same, mm. or just just the way the curriculum and schools function. I I can't say so much about now because I don't know, but you know, back when I was in school, mm. uh, there was almost this underlying assumption that all students are the same. So, you know, if one person could deal with this kind of stress or 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 or, or challenges, mm. then technically any other student should be able to. Whereas, <laughs> you know, there, there, there was almost this lack of understanding that, you know, some people just have different ways of dealing with it or some people have different circumstances. And because mm. of that, you cannot expect the same, you know, outcome yeah. as any other student. Yeah, and, and, and also family circumstances, you know, there are many contributory factors to building resilience. Yes. So... Individual characteristics is just one part of it. So how about support from home? How about peers that they mix with? How about the school environment that could be nurturing and provide that familiar environment for children who do not have it at home? Right. right? How about the wider community and the understanding of what's, how to deal with stress in a productive way? You know, all of that yeah. plays into whether a particular person can respond well to stress. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, and I think it brings up the question that we were speaking out, speaking about before the podcast, which was um, uh, who takes the lead on dealing with this, right? You yes. know, in, in this context, is uh, in, in the context of this podcast, is, is it the mm. workplace or is it us? Or in yeah. the context of school, I mean, is the school responsible for every aspect? Of it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, right? But, yeah. you know, yet because a child spends quite a big portion of their waking hours in school, yeah. probably some responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a formative years for school. I yeah. mean, in workplace, obviously, as adults, we assume that we will take full responsibility over our ability to respond to challenge and mental health and all that. But I think increasingly, there is a bit of pressure on companies to also provide a conducive environment yes. that is free from toxic toxic politics and, and yeah. things like that. I mean, of course, that's idealistic. Yeah. Yeah, but if and there are companies like Hilton, for example, who really put employee well-being as one of their priorities and it hasn't um, caused them to drop in profits. Right. Productivity, you know, but it has created an environment where people come to work and feel satisfied. Yeah. Yeah, and still want to contribute probably even more than they would do normally, you know. Yeah. So it's, it is definitely something doable um, and of course it requires you know companies to have foresight and good leadership to walk the talk and, and all of those factors yeah it seems yeah. It, it does seem like the only way to go because i mean when you're dealing with humans mm. you have to deal with pe people or yeah. us or humans in totality yes and so to only expect uh, and and I, I always bring this up you know it's funny because um yeah, because of the nature of work now 
many of us tend to bring our professional lives back home to our yeah. personal lives. But yet, you know, in many companies, they don't allow personal lives to interfere with <laughs> professional lives. Yes. And it's, I think it's that disconnect, you know. You expect so much from us outside of work, but yet you don't allow <laughs> us to explore that, you know, the personal struggle yes, in the workplace. And mm. I think it's it's those things that make make it a difficult work environment for, I mean, not all, but I assume for some. Yes, yeah. And I think it's it's a great point that you bring up because we are humans and it's foolish to think that we can draw the line so clearly. Yeah. Some people can compartmentalize. They believe they can, but how do you know whether subconsciously their family problems are weighing on them? Financial problems, for example, is pretty common for quite a lot of people. You know, So if that's weighing at the back of your mind, you can't pay your mortgage, yeah. then it's definitely going to affect the way in which you perform at the workplace. Yeah, it's, true. it's just whether people recognize it as something significant or not. That's another yeah. question. With regards to the workplace and, mm. and, and, and the stresses, if based off the work that you do, what are some of the common causes of stress mm. in the work environment? Yeah, I think some of the common causes are, number one, of course, workload. Just the sheer amount of work that each person has to do. I mean, I've heard of companies where they're hired for X job scope, but they take on Y and Z. Yeah. Whether it's because they are co- they're capable and competent, therefore they're given more things to do. Yeah. Or maybe a colleague or someone on the team just had to leave and they had to take on that work. And I think it's expected that they take it on um, without too much complaint. So yeah. workload is one of them. I think second, perhaps is, yeah, for, for young families, people with young children is trying to balance that. You know, wanting to be at home with the children and also wanting to climb the corporate ladder and do very well at work and so they create these expectations on themselves to do well in all domains yeah which inevitably could lead to you know just fizzling out because it's too much to take for one person right yeah and then of course uh talks the politics is one one thing where team members are trying to outcompete each other as opposed to collaborate towards a common goal yeah yeah and i think some other common things are like bosses who are not reasonable and expect them to do the work for them, but can't grant them leeways when necessary. Yeah. yeah. So these are just some of the, I think, more common contributory factors right. at the workplace. And it's and it's interesting because, um, and this is something I would love to hear your opinion on mm. is, you know, all these stresses are are common in the workplace for for many, if not all of us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the cause of our stress. It's mm. just an issue. Is there a way we can identify what the causes of our particular stress or where it's coming from? I mean, of course, there are surveys that people can do to yeah. identify where the stress is coming from. But I mean, the assumption is that the person has the level of self-awareness to even know where you know which particular aspect of their life is creating it. And it's also possible that it could be just an accumulation of stress from different aspects of life, right? So familial stress, financial stress, wanting to hustle and achieve everything stress, (laughs) Uh, boss stress. Yeah, but I mean, it's not impossible to kind of narrow it down, but it can be done through surveys or focus groups or getting, I mean, providing space for employees to actually reflect, right, periodically if it can be structured in, so that they can do a stock take, for example, and say, yeah. you know, this quarter, what has allowed me to do well in my work, but what has been, what have been the obstacles? You know, then with that clarity and white space, they can then try to tweak, you know, and adjust for the next quarter, for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is something like we can do on our own as well, you know, yes, whether yes. it's weekly, monthly, or as you mentioned, quarterly, we can just sit down and, kind of understand mm. what are the things that really was was the barrier to us yes you know feeling mentally well yes. throughout this experience yeah um i suppose the challenge after that is figuring out how to solve mm. solve that problem right it's uh, true yeah, yeah because it's one thing to to identify what the stresses are but it's another thing to know how to solve it yeah. um do you have any thoughts on on what one might be able to do to even think about? Yeah, I solutions? mean, I think of course there are tried and tested tools 
Right. So, for example, if let's say the stress is caused by communication or misunderstandings or relationship, you could upskill and learn how to better communicate. Right. And if let's say it's a relationship issue with someone in your team or even someone at home, then the question becomes how much do you want to resolve this issue? Right. Yeah. Because it takes courage to face your issues in the in directly and to have a conversation which can clear misunderstandings which could potentially reduce your stress level significantly. Not everybody has the courage. Yes, and yeah. even if you have the courage, you still need skill to be able to conduct that conversation, for example. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's, it sounds like uh, that's another level of stress. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, now I need to uh, you know, d- uh, um, deal with it in a tactful way. You know, it's like, oh, what if I don't know? <laughs> yeah, but you know, I actually teach a course on handling difficult conversations simply because difficult conversations are a significant sort of stress, particularly at the workplace, right? right? And whether it's talking to your boss, talking to your team member, talking to your clients, um, when things are not, you're not seeing eye to eye, and if you continue that down, then it becomes prolonged misunderstandings, which yes. if you have to see the person every day, you know, it's just this black spot that you have to avoid every day, for example. Exactly. Yeah, and you may think I can ignore it, but if it's there and you see it, you know, it's the question is, do you want to deal with it now or do you yeah. want to make it manifest until it becomes a big mountain that you have yeah. to deal with, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is that is tricky, but maybe I could uh, delve deeper into that. So, mm. um, say for example, the stress you, you face is a result of difficult uh, relationships mm-hmm. that you need to communicate. Uh, what would you recommend or, you know, or what have you thought in your course that maybe you know, you can kind of summarize within yeah, this short session. Yeah. So what I would suggest is to, number one, remain objective. Sometimes we are very emotional about people or circumstances which we have a lot of investment in and where we think we are right and we think the other person is wrong. So the first thing is to put aside the emotions first and focus on objective facts. What did the person actually say? Not what you think he means, because that is kind of read between the lines, which you yes. can't prove. Yes. But what did the person actually say? Are there people who actually witnessed that misunderstanding, for example? So number one, be objective. Number two, um, use empathy. And by empathy, I mean really think about what it's like for the other person. Now, that's challenging because you'd rather believe that you're right and the person's yeah. wrong. But by taking that extra step, it's not that you have to give him or her the benefit of the doubt 100%, but it's more thinking, well, what is it from his or her angle that could have been a challenge that resulted in this particular behavior they showed to us, right? right? Because just like you have your reasons for being angry, they probably have their own reasons, which they too find valid, yeah. right? So that, that step of empathy and seeing it from their perspective And then the next thing is to kind of, once you've thought through the objective facts, you kind of get a sense that, oh, you know, that person is going through this. Then it's time to set up a meeting, right? And that in itself could give people a lot of fear. But if you're objective and you're not accusing and you've not gone to make assumptions and now you've thought about it from this person, now you can set up the meeting and say, hey, I've given it some thought. And what I'd really like to discuss is this particular incident. You know, would you be willing to meet up? Right. Yeah. So then it's put in very simple, straightforward language where there's no hiding, there's no politics involved in trying to prove you're right. And I found that when you approach it that way, the person on the receiving end is more likely to say yes. Because now they recognize that you have put in effort to think about it from their point of view. Yeah. Right, so that is a beginning step. Yeah, you know, and I and I feel like it's almost what's more important is almost the intention of you wanting to solve the problem rather than you, you know, putting in those steps. You know, because then yeah. the other party will say, "Well, this person is well-meaning. Yes. He's trying to solve. He or she is trying to solve the problem. Yes. Let's see where this goes." Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, of course, if it's been a prolonged time of misunderstanding, you probably may not get yes the first time. Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it's even just going through the process helps you to recognize that two parties always contribute to a misunderstanding and it's never only you are right and the yes. other person's wrong. 
Yeah. And that in itself is already a huge, you know, advancement in the understanding of that relationship. Right. Yeah. And so, in terms of, you know, empath- <coughs> empathy and and all these soft skills that you need to kind of, you know, handle these sort of difficult stresses, so to mm. speak, um, what do you think is critical, you know, besides empathy in order to, mm. to, to really understand the other parties or the other... The other reasons why you may be stressed. I mean, because of course, there's the internal side that things mm. you need to work on your own. Mm. But what about outside? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the other things that you can work on is uh, beliefs, right? I mean, before we have any actions, there's always, before the action, there's an emotion. Before the emotion, there's always a thought, a belief about something. So if you're going through a bad patch at work, for example, you have three projects in a row which didn't hit your targets, which I can see happening in many workplaces, the natural way to think, I suppose, is that, oh, I suck. Yeah. Now, just imagine if that is your predominant thought. What would it make you feel? Quite likely, you will feel sad, helpless, right? And what would it make you do? It will probably make you lose motivation and give up. Or stop investing 100% because, you see, after investing so much, still discount result. What's the point? <laughs> right. But what happens is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because if you stop investing, the next project is likely going to be poorly done as well, which will then reinforce the belief that I suck, right? Yeah. So one thing we can be aware of is our thought process. You know, um, when something goes wrong, what is our default? You may have a default of, I'm lousy, but then you can catch it and, yeah. and interrogate it or challenge it and say, is it because I'm lousy or is it because these projects are too demanding for me at the moment or yeah. I had these three all in a row and I was shorthanded. Yeah, it's not lying to yourself. Again, it's being objective about what's the reality of your circumstances, right? right? And, and looking at it in a more holistic way as opposed to, oh, let me blame myself straight away. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, assessing the situation objectively. Yes. So um, just to to clarify, so even if even if that thought is true, mm. um, it should be disregarded if it doesn't help you get better. Is that what you? Uh, what you no. Mean? So for example, if really the con- after you've done your checks and it really is that you did a bad job, then you acknowledge it. Right, and then you can reconcile why you are feeling lousy. Is that I didn't put in my best effort? May not be I suck, but I didn't put in my best effort. Again, <laughs> right. a little bit of reframing because I suck means you can't change that. Yeah. But I didn't put in my best effort means it's changeable and I can work harder the next time. Doesn't mean you don't feel lousy, right? All feelings are okay. Yeah. As long as they come from something that is objective and not biased and, you know, just based on a one-sided view. So even that shift of I didn't put in my best effort is more energizing than I suck. Right. Right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just with that, you can say, okay, so what can I learn from this process? Yeah. What can I do better next time? Who can I ask for help? And then if you ask for help and you get an idea and you apply it, you know, that is, you're actually moving forward. Right? But yeah. I suck tends to put someone in a position of stagnancy. So how do you get better from there? Right. right. So, yeah, I mean, so aside from empathy, I think watching your thoughts, um, trying to stay objective as much as possible, you know, and when you find yourself either blaming someone too much or taking too much responsibility where it's not necessary, catch yourself and challenge as you would help a friend do. Right. Right? Because when your friend's telling you, oh, man, <laughs> I, I must be the stupidest person in the whole world, you're not going to say, yeah. Yeah. You're going to say, oh, come on, man, you know. Yeah. You had a late night. You just came back from overseas trip. So, but we don't. Some we sometimes do not talk to ourselves that way. Yeah. 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 We're less forgiving of ourselves, I suppose. Yes. And um, when we when we talk about objectivity, mm. I suppose the real challenge is, as you mentioned, catching yourself mm. at that right moment, right? Because um, it almost has to be a reflex, you know. Oh, I'm thinking this way. No, let's think objectively. Um, do you have any like? ways that we can just like make it more mechanical yeah i mean it's i think with any skill it requires practice yeah yeah which means that you have to put in effort 
Yeah. So in the book that I mentioned earlier on Learn Optimism, they yeah. actually have this very simple ABC template mm -hmm. of process, whichever you call it, which A means activating event. Identify what triggered a particular thought. B is the thought. So you actually write down the thought. And then C is the consequence, which is what were the emotions I felt? What is the action that I took? So without judging yourself, you could just take note in a kind of a journal form. And it's just these three points. Right. Um, when things do not go your way, or even when things do go your way. So that it just becomes a practice and a habit. Yeah, and even let's say you got triggered and you couldn't stop the slippery slope. At least you are mindful that I went down the slippery slope for a while. Like I yeah. self-indulged in my own pity for right, a while. Right, right. But then you recognize that, oh, maybe there's something in what I was thinking that I needed to yeah. address. And then you go back to it later. But if you don't do any of this at all, then you don't have the habit and practice of even noticing that it's there. Right. Yeah, so just like, you know, if you want to get your muscles strong at the gym, you're not going to you know, go to the gym and just watch people do the <laughs> right. weightlifting and you do nothing. Right, right. You have to lift the weight and build up that muscle. It's the same same concept. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I, w I was speaking with one of my previous guests. I believe it was Susan. Mm. Uh, she's a, a executive coach. Mm. And um, uh, we did a small practice. And ever since then, you know, I'm also like, I keep, uh, practicing and keeping keep myself mindful of all the times when I get triggered, and the first thing I now that I I I'm more aware of it, I notice like my chest gets really warm, and you know because mm. that's when I get agitated. So for me, like uh, to your point, it, the practicing part really helps because um, at first you know it takes a while for me to notice. You know I go through the process. I'm like. Oh yeah, I I am feeling a bit agitated, mm. and then I notice my chest like being warm and you know uncomfortable. Whereas now it's the other way around. Mm. I feel my chest first, and I'm like, okay, you know. So right, eventually right. it becomes a reflex, you know, and yes, then from right. practice it becomes automated. And now I know, like, okay, now I need to take a step back and you know, almost like recuse myself of the <laughs> of the situation, and then come back at a at a different time. So, yeah, yeah I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think there's no harm in letting the, if that, you know, getting into a situation, you can always let the person know by expressing the emotion, mm -hmm. saying that <clears throat> I'm feeling really agitated at the moment. Yeah. And I don't think it's the best time for us to have this conversation. Yeah. And then you just step away because by, by, by labeling your emotion, it also helps the brain and your body and your nervous system to take that breather right. you know yeah yeah but that uh, yeah that for me at first was really really hard to do because uh, now i do that mm. but at the start you know i don't think my ego would have let me, uh, you know i must it's finish true, the argument true, yeah. now yes you know? of course <laughs> let's hate each other for a little while more. <laughs> you know so yeah so but yeah i totally understand yeah that's um, true <laughs> but in terms of um creating a space where let's say you work within a team right and you know you, whether you're you're a team that's functional or dysfunctional uh, how can we work together to mm. make sure that we can help each other um, whenever uh, another party is feeling stressed or help them avoid you know any form of stressor mm. i think you know i always believe in prevention versus intervention right when things get bad and you are trying to fight fire, we call that intervention. Right. Yeah. But I think for teams, um, I really advocate working on prevention. By prevention, it means that in good times, you build up what we call emotional bank account. Right? Yeah. So. And what is that? Can you <clears throat> So, for example, being grateful, right, to the team members when you notice they've done things. And, and honestly, as you work as a team, there are a lot of good things that people are doing, which we sometimes don't notice. Yeah, but we kind of take for granted he should do it because he is part of the team. Right. Yeah, but if we took on the lens of gratitude, for example, and we say thank you for hey, chipping in those extra hours on the weekend, you know, I know you didn't have to, but because you did that, the team was able to get together. And by let's say you do that as a habit as well, what you're doing is building up this bank so that when things get stressful, uh, instead of only thinking about the things that didn't do well, you ha actually have this repository of exchanges of gratitude within each other 
which would, number one, mitigate stress better. Right. right. Gratitude has been found to be a great stress reliever. Second, you're building the capacity of the team um, in terms of appreciating each other's capabilities. Yeah. Right. So that's, again, by sharing with them, I saw this, I'm grateful for this. People kind of bond. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so all of this is what we call prevention and building that bank account. Right. And when things get difficult, as I said, you can say, oh, yeah, but... During that weekend, he really put aside those three hours to help me. Yeah. So now, when he is going through a difficult patch, maybe I could do the same for him. Right. Or her, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? So, that's one way. Um, <clears throat> the other way is, yeah, maybe put on what we call an appreciative lens. Very similar to gratitude. But instead of saying what's going wrong, we could ask what's going right with our team. When has been the last time where we were all energized? What project was that? Share that with me. Because for all you know, there's one common thing that binds all of us together. That's right. But yeah. we never talked about it. Simply because life got in the way or, you know, new projects. But have those conversations at team meetings as opposed to, okay, what's on the to-do list? Let's just get over and done with. Let's go for a client meeting. Yeah. But how about those kind of capacity building conversations? You know, where do right. we want to go as a team? What are the individual strengths on each of us that we can build? You know, again, it contributes to this bank account. Right. Right. So in times of challenge, crisis, you can say, okay, this problem requires someone who has a strength of creativity. Who in our team has that? And because you've had this conversation, you can say, hey, Nick, you are the one who's very creative in our team. Maybe you can come up with a good solution for this client. Or maybe someone else is very prudent and the company is going through a crisis in terms of not enough funds. Right. Hey, let's tap on his prudence and see how, what are the ways in which we can cut our costs without cutting our quality, right? Yeah. But if you've never had these conversations, then and the only conversations are, yeah, he doesn't pull his weight. This one all night partying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then when it comes to crisis and you're only thinking of weakness, how are you going to overcome it together? Right. You know. So it's, so it's almost like you're saying that um, during the good times, mm. be through compassion or empathy, etc., to build up the team, um, so that during the bad times, um, your first instinct won't be to tear down someone. Yeah, yeah, because it only takes one person to tear down the other team member. That's true. To start the ball rolling. Yeah. Right. And I don't know if um, if there's an answer to this as, and stuff like that, but you know. How do you also handle the mismatch in expectations, I would say? Because mm. I suppose in every team, there's always one high performer or um, alpha that, you know, is always overachieving, mm. overexceeding. And, and more times than not, they are oblivious to everyone's, you know, um, regular standard I mm. suppose or a regular set of expectations mm. um, and, and those are also challenges that uh, you know they may cause stress in the people who uh, you know feel like they're not putting in their their fair share um, how do we deal with those kind of you know relationships especially mm. in the team yeah I think having common principles and rules as a, as a way of how team the team can operate would be helpful Right, and if you put honest communication, honest and direct communication as part of the habits and principles, then when someone gets too overbearing or has too high expectations, then there's a common agreement that when you get together or you can give feedback, you can give it in a way that allows the person to know this is not personal. Right. But this is, as a practice, we are all doing this. So when you have not done a great job, I'm going to give you feedback but it's because I want you to do better. And it's because we want the team to grow. Right. right? So that provides the space for, again, it empowers people as well to be able to go directly to that person who's overbearing and said, no, this is not personal, but it's a principle that we all hold. And can I share something with you? You know, and similarly, he could also say that, hey, I expected more from you. Mm -hmm. Right. So it comes down to communication. Yeah. Right. And I do notice that in workplaces communication is sacrificed for for things getting done. Right. Yeah. So whether it's empathy or whether it's honesty or being direct or um I think communication is where teams really need to 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 buckle down on 
right? Yeah. And not take things for granted yeah. and not make too many assumptions. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, communication while key is also the hardest thing because, you know, <laughs> everyone has a different way of communicating. That's yeah, true. And um, oftentimes I find, um, and this is from my personal experience, is mm. that um, because of efficiency, people like to uh, communicate via text or via mm. email. But oftentimes, I feel that that's the that's a that's not ideal for many cases because it's hard to detect tone. Yes, you know. So you read between too many lines. Exactly. <laughs> when yeah, there are no lines to yeah, be read. Exactly. <laughs> you know. So so sometimes you know sometimes the, the the what you thought was an efficient email will can be read wrongly for better or for worse, of course. Mm. You know, and I think that is something you know that. I'm also trying to be mindful of mm. and that is, you know, when conversations require in-person, uh, actual in-person conversations to actually take it offline because, you yeah. know, sometimes it's just so easy when you're so busy to be like, all right, uh, <laughs> message received, regards, you know, Nick. But, yeah. you know, whereas in reality, you know, you want to show the person that you've actually taken uh, taken wh- whatever it is that they've said to heart you know? yes and, correct yeah. yeah I mean we always talk uh, you know when we do training we say don't have corridor conversations right because number one the person may not be ready to receive the information you want to pass to them yeah and if they're going for their coffee break and you're going for your coffee break and you say hey remember to do this yeah they might uh-huh you but probably nothing went in, yeah, exactly. right? Because they're thinking about going for coffee, yeah. you know? So uh, it's not only empathetic communication, it's also prepared communication, right? right? Making sure the person is ready to receive your, your information or your feedback, yeah. you know, mentally prepared, right? And not springing surprise thing on them <laughs> and expecting them to know how to deal with it straight away, right? you know? Because uh, just imagine if you're walking and someone, your boss says, hey, you better do this. You have no head, no tail. Yeah. And suddenly you're expected to do it. Inevitably, something will go wrong. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I think the best example of this is always school, right? Like, mm. because school, they never really give you a reason. They just tell you to do it. You know, yeah. like, there's always an absence of reason. That's Almost right. like, because we're, we're, we're kids, we don't require any reason, <laughs> but but, you know, but uh, in reality, that's the best way to communicate for for you to explain why yeah. and to have them understand whether they agree or disagree. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it works at the workplace too. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. maybe it just needs extra five minutes. Yeah. To give the rationale. Yeah. For why you need something done, even if it's urgent. Yeah. You know, and most people take shortcuts on the most important parts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, then under, this under the disguise of time. Yeah, yeah, but it's always you know, do you want to save time? You know, just so that you can get that X thing done, but yeah. it's not done the way that you want, which yeah. then leads to more time being spent. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to navigate, and like you like you mentioned earlier, you know, you just have to be mindful whenever mm. it happens, and I think like all things being equal, that's the most important thing to focus on. <laughs> like, when it happens to, like, catch yourself doing it yeah. and, and really, like, you know, shifting gears. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, if I could add one more thing that's really helpful, it's just to be present. Yeah, I remember that I was going through a really busy period recently where I had so many um, engagements one after another and on one particular day, I had, like, five meetings. So when I woke up in the morning, I looked at my calendar and I was like oh my god how am I going to survive the day but you see that number one that's not a healthy thought to have because if you already think you're not going to survive you aren't going to survive right but instead I said okay I'd better practice what I tell other people and that is just be present in that moment just do that one thing first so I happened to arrive early at the client's office so instead of checking my email I said okay let's just sit down and be present. What am I here at this time to do? And that is meet ex-client, right? And everything else just fade away. Right. And then you bring yourself a sense of peace and control that you would not have if you're thinking, after this client, I've got to meet that client. I've got to prepare for this. I've got to prepare. It begins this never-ending um, anxiety spiral, which mm-hmm. then is so hard to get out of. Right. You know? So just present. Okay, so I'm done with item one. 
Now I'm going to item two. Right. And then when I'm doing item two, I'm going to be 100% in that, be very present in that, and then go on to item three. And voila, five meetings passed without yeah. feeling that overwhelming anxiety you know, yeah. that I would otherwise have had. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and to add to that, um, do you think there's something to be said about energy pre- preservation? Because, mm. I mean, yes. there's... I think that's one of the reasons why we also get a lot of stress, right? Because um, it's one thing to have five meetings <laughs> for in one day, but some people pile it on for all five days of the week, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, how important is energy, do you think, in energy preservation and all mm. of this? And, you know, what are some examples you that you use to preserve your energy? Yeah, so I think it's a great point. Yes, definitely. You know, and it's a limited resource. Yeah. And until... You know, and most of us wait till the weekend to top up that resource. Yeah, I would say don't wait till the weekend. That's one. And you can actually use breathing exercises and your lunch hour, for example, to either go and be somewhere near nature or just have that quiet space for yourself where you put aside the technology and recognize that you as a human being, like any machine also needs rest. Right. So, you know, really intentionally plan for that rest in the middle of your workday. And I encourage people to do that. That's right. one. Number two, yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I find that people worry. Yeah, they worry about something that's happening next month. For example, I remember <clears throat> working with this client who said, I've got this presentation from my CEO. I said, when is it? Next month. <laughs> then I said, okay, so why are you worrying about it now? Because I'm not prepared. I said, it's next month. Of course you're not prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but... I mean, I, uh, but but if I'm not prepared, then of course I'm worried. That's it. But is that something you need to worry about today? You know, again, is that being present? Mm. And then he realized that, no, I don't have to worry about it now. You know, two weeks to the presentation, maybe it's time to start worrying right. and then start to prepare, you know. But he was worrying about it in the background of his mind, which takes up energy, right? It, it reduces your ability to focus because your brain is somehow distracted by that thing. Yeah. And when he started practicing it a bit more consciously, he realized there's so many of these worries constantly on the head. And well, no wonder you're stressed. Yeah. You know? So um it is so practically for people who are, you know, really want the practical thing, it's really writing down the stuff that you have to do and then put it in terms of priorities. Right. What is something that I need to attend to that's urgent, important tomorrow? Right? And then how about next week? You can write it down first so that mentally you have attended to it, but then only come to deal with it when it's time. Right. So that you're not overtaxing that that energy that you're talking about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um and, and, and I would like to add to that and, and these are not um I think this is the wonderful thing about uh doing all these podcasts because mm. I learned from other guests as well that I can now uh drop it like it's my own knowledge <laughs> but, uh, but uh, feel free uh, yeah. but the uh, uh the first one was one of the uh my my earlier podcast with uh, a guy named alex uh he's he runs a holistic wellness uh, uh facility here and he said like i mean because we humans are solar powered like the best way to really get energy is you know especially in the mornings to really be in the sun mm. you know because it really it, it wakes us up you know it kind of takes away the sleep hormone i want to say i'm not sure if hormone is the right mm. right word but you get the my point yeah but really just to almost like it's almost like it, because you're solar powered you know your energy just goes up full bar because you you've exposed yourself to the sun yeah that's uh that's that's something i've been um actively Mm. Um, doing on uh, on a daily basis now, mm. you know, be it whether I walk to work or oh, or I just see, spend yeah. some time in the sun um, before work or during lunchtime, mm. um, and and I find it helps. I I can't say whether it just makes me energized, but it just makes me feel alive. Yeah. and I don't know if that makes sense, but I really yeah, but I mean the sun is vitamin A. Is it vitamin A or D? Vitamin D, vitamin D. Yeah. and I think as you are out in the sun, it's also you are not you 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 are dropping everything else that you know being in an office represents isn't that's it that's true yeah. yeah so it's just Very a in shift in yeah 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 it's uh it's uh it's it's interesting <laughs> because um i was uh, watching this uh, nature nature documentary and he 
and 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 it's this guy who lives in the who lives in the forest basically mm. you know he chose this life um, for himself and he says like for him nature is the best way to be present and be mindful yes because you can only focus on this because it's really about your safety and preservation so there's you can't think about the mm. past or the future because you're trying to survive mm, in the now yeah, yeah. and he says like i think because we've we've gone out of of that you know into this concrete jungle yeah. it's harder for us to be in the present because we're not true. thinking about the immediate so ever since then you know it's uh, i i started to think like wow okay so what can i do to make mm. it more present i mean i'm not successful but <laughs> at least <laughs> well, you know there. at least you try yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah i mean and anyway scientifically it's been proven yeah. that uh, if we spend at least an hour plus a week in nature yeah it has health benefits and distress benefits it's simply because nature by itself is is healing Yep. Yeah, and I mean you've heard of forest bathing and all of that, right? Or even if you stay near Bukit Timah, going for a walk yeah. amidst all the jungle, it's just it's rejuvenating. It really Higher is. levels of oxygen, you know. So I think it's, I think maybe the central theme is being conscious about what works for you. I mean, it, different tools work differently for different people. Right. Yeah. If you have the time, yeah, spend more time in nature. Right. If you don't have the time, then maybe take time off to just I mean five minutes to do more mindful breathing and you know just staying present what you're doing even right. as you're going about your work things like that so that you know you don't ever give yourself the excuse that I can't make time for my own well-being right yeah, yeah. Um, uh, final question sure. and it's um, something that I think listeners can directly learn from your experience mm. per se um, what is the greatest tool you have in your toolkit mm. whenever you are feeling stressed? Good question. <laughs> the most effective tool I've found is, yeah, actually just asking, you know, asking myself, what is within my responsibility? And I, and I don't know, is it a, a gender thing? But or maybe it's not. But yeah. for me, I find that as a mother, as a daughter, as a wife, I tend to want to do things for people. Right. right, and sometimes when I'm not aware, I tend to overdo and take on someone else's emotions or, or work even or, or stress simply because I feel that I need to. Yeah. yeah. So for me, what really works is asking myself, well, is this within my scope of responsibility to do? Right. Yeah. If it is, then I'll take full responsibility for it and I get it done. But if I find myself over worrying about something that I cannot control, that's my daughter's thing, for example, you know, and it's easy for people to impress their stress upon you. Absolutely. Right? But we have to learn to, to draw that boundary. Yeah. So when I ask myself this very focusing question, I realize, yes, I'll do what I can. And it's not being selfish. It's self-preservation almost. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then if my daughter is stressing about what class she's going to next year and she keeps asking me, I don't have to give in. I can say, I'll check when I have a breather of my own time. So yeah. that is taking responsibility for myself. And I find that just by being conscious about asking myself this question, I have become, you know, it's much lighter. Right. Yeah, and then when I have the bandwidth, okay, I can take on a little bit more. Yeah. You know, but if you're going through a stressful period, my suggestion is, I ask yourself, are you doing things outside what you need to do? Right. Yeah, and is there a way in which you can lean on others? outsource it you know or uh, find different ways of doing it that play to your strengths you know things like that right yeah so um, if I could summarize and then correct me if I'm wrong mm. um, it's to ask yourself focus questions so you can set boundaries yes yeah that's right got it yeah and yeah and I I start and and how I handle stress um, it, uh, or how I handle my stress alleviation is is for me personally is always to speak with my wife because mm. I find between the two of us she's the more rational one mm -hmm. and because of that you know she can help dissect mm. a little bit more I mean I guess in a way instead of asking myself focus <laughs> questions I ask yeah, her someone. <laughs> <laughs> so, no wonder so, you married her <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah so she you know gives me the answer so okay then I just follow but I think just having someone to to vibe off, to yes, talk to yes. and help you mm. rationalize things that maybe 
it's just difficult for you to rationalize. It's true. Really helps you. Really, it helps me a lot to mm. just you know like, um, you know, and so yeah. Sometimes I always feel like having a good support network is yes. is also important. Yes, absolutely. I think among all the predictors of well being, relationships is always comes out as one of the most significant predictors. Yeah. So investing in connection, um, and and uh, other people, you know, instead of spending time shopping. Not that shopping is bad. You know, sometimes you can have that. Yeah, course, <laughs> but yeah. you know, if you if you can intentionally put in these support structures, then yeah. similarly, just like building that emotional bank with your colleagues, yes. you're building an emotional bank in your own life yeah. with the people that matter. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I find yeah, I find what you say really helpful and very insightful. Um, I know you Thank do you. this. I know I know you do this uh for corporates and organizations yes. as well. Yes. Um at the risk of butchering what you do, maybe I'll <laughs> give the floor over to you and you can explain what you do and maybe how they can get in touch if they you know, want to uh, request your services. Yeah, so my company is called Happiness Scientists and as the name implies, we use the science of positive psychology to increase the happiness levels of individuals and organizations. So what we do is that we provide uh, bespoke, customized training solutions in the, term, in the, in the form of workshops or speaking engagements, or even consultancy to support how you can, you know, structurally create a workplace that will allow employees and even yourself as a boss, for example, to flourish. Yeah, so training is centered on the evidence-based research coming out from the field of positive psychology and neuroscience. And um, I guess being a former teacher, we know how to design the program for maximized learning. And it's not one of those programs where you go through, feel motivated and forget all about it, but we really design it so that learning takes place and people who go through our programs can apply it um, to their daily lives and also to enhance the quality of other people's lives. Yeah, so, you know, you can get in touch with us and our website is www.happinessscientist.com. Okay. Yeah. Um, are they able to reach you on LinkedIn? Uh, yes, as, yes. As well? So if you go on LinkedIn, you can find me at Sha'enyo M-A-P-P, okay. which is a Master's in Applied Positive Psychology. On Facebook is Happiness Scientist. Got it, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't worry, I'll put it all in the description. Okay, so sure. uh, it'll be much easier for them to find you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sha'en, it's been a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's and, been fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the listeners would have benefited a lot from it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.